Uh, there are a lot of radiation-induced cancers that we've uh, detected early in the NSSP. We have seen all sorts of beryllium disease, both in the blood or sensitization, and actual lung disease that we've diagnosed based on the exam, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, abnormal chest x-rays that have shown uh, indirect evidence of heart valve diseases, uh, thyroid disease, just all sorts of things on a regular basis. Uh, and so again, not only do we let the people know, but we give them a personal call to let them know it's important, get in to see their doctor. And if they don't have one, uh, they'll need to find one. And we can also help them sometimes access medical care. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. My name is Michael Holtz, and I am your host. Today, I am very excited to talk to two um, physicians and co-principal investigators for the National Supplemental Screening Program. This is a kind of a legacy program, if you will, for ORAU, something we've been doing for a very long time, but it doesn't always get a lot of attention. So I'm thrilled to have with me today, Dr. John McInerney and Dr. Jamie Stalker, who are going to talk about the program, why it's important, um, and all of those sorts of things. So Dr. McInerney and Dr. Stalker, if you would, please briefly introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm John McInerney. Uh, I've wandered around medicine for the past 50 years. I've had a lot of fun, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, started out as a general practitioner, spent time in the Indian Health Service, trained as an emergency physician, had urgent care and general practice. Became interested in uh, the characters that worked about 10 miles north of Golden, Colorado, where I lived, which was a nuclear weapons plant at Rocky Flats. I went up there to work, was curious, really enjoyed it. When I was there, uh, part of the program was a former worker brilliant program. Uh, that group split off and went with the Oak Ridge group. I continued as medical director until the plant closed. Um, as time went by, I got to know the workers and got to realize what special work they did. And with significant legislation, uh, they're entitled to be rescreened for the rest of their life. And that's what drew me to the uh, National Supplemental Screening Program. It was actually sort of an offshoot of the Rocky Flats Brilliant Program. Uh, the former medical director, Joe Furman, started the NSSP. I followed in his footsteps and have been happy to be able to recruit uh, Dr. Stalker uh, to replace me as I retire. Jamie? Yes, uh, hello, I'm Dr. Jamie Stalker, 
And as mentioned, I'm currently the co-principal investigator and a physician for the ORIU National Supplemental Screening Program. I'm also uh, the medical director and clinical consultant for the ORISE Brilliant Laboratory down in Oak Ridge. Uh, I'm a board certified internist and prior uh, to coming to ORIU, I worked 20 years at Argonne National Laboratory, which is one of the national labs for DOE in the Chicago area. And I served as their site occupational medical director for about 15 of those years. Prior to that, I was a practicing uh, internal medicine doctor uh, working out of uh, Rush University Medical Center and Northwestern in the Chicago area, and also had a small suburban practice in the uh, area of Hinsdale, Illinois, uh, in the, also in the Chicago area. Thank you both for um, sharing your impressive backgrounds and credentials. Um, it sets a great stage for um, the conversation that we're about to have. So Dr. Mack, if you would um, talk about what the National Supplemental Screening Program is and why it's important. Uh, what it is, it's a program that can provide medical screening to a former Department of Energy worker, no matter where they live, uh, anywhere in the United States, and it doesn't matter what site they worked at. So we're able to find a location close to them where they can get an examination done. The examination is similar to what we used to do at uh, the plants, sort of a general physical examination, normal blood work, normal urine work, but it also has a special component or special components to look specifically for work-related conditions, some of which are very special to the Department of Energy. And this could be things like hearing loss, lung disease, including beryllium disease, uh, decreased pulmonary function, all sorts of different problems that could be work-related. It also, as a uh, other benefit, can screen people for normal diseases that we all can get, no matter where we work or don't work, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, liver disease, even blood diseases, things like that. This is offered at no charge. Um, it's voluntary. It's a good program. It also intersects with a um, program for benefits through the Department of Labor. Um, so this is a program that is primarily focused on energy industry workers, um, correct? Um, yes, what? Yeah, Depart Department of Energy workers. Department of Energy yes, workers, sir. right, okay. Um, what, for, this is a question for both of you, what drew you to occupational medicine and then more specifically to the National Supplemental Screening Program? John, why don't you go first on that? All right. Um, when I was in practice in Golden, Colorado, uh, as part of the general practice, I started to see uh, individuals from the municipality I worked in, from the um, county government, from the Coors Corporations, and also got involved with people from Rocky Flats. <clears throat> the more I did that type of work, 
the more interested I became in occupational medicine. I followed some of the uh, physicians locally who had a practice, went up to Rocky Flats to work and became medical director, including uh, Dr. Lloyd Wright, Dr. Joe Furman. And I became very fascinated by the secret society up there. So with, with sort of the uh, interest and the knowledge, I decided to go up and see what was going on and I became board certified in occupational medicine. As a result, that followed my emergency medicine board certification. And I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Rocky Flats. I got to know a lot about these specific diseases. And when Rocky Flats closed, I was looking for a job. And the NSSP allowed me to use my knowledge to continue uh, taking care of the individuals uh, that were proud of the work they did and did a good job. Wow! So it sounds like you were you were working in a space that the right the right pro program, the right project, sort of opened up at the time that you um, kind of were ready and needed some needed a new opportunity. Right. Um, I was looking for a job, uh, and I was happy to stay in the same house and keep working. So it was just wonderful. Great. Dr. Stucker, how about you? So I have a very different story and probably not really a straightforward answer. <laughs> um, actually, I was completely unfamiliar with the field of occupational medicine. Uh, I was working for 10 years, as I said, as a clinical internist and uh, was a teaching attending at hospitals in Chicago. Um, I had moved out to the suburbs outside of Chicago, west of Chicago, and about two years before I started Argonne, it just happens one of my patients in the practice came in with an abnormal chest x-ray and a note from an Argonne occupational doctor recommending further evaluation. So that's how I found out about Argonne's on-site medical clinic. I ended up having a conversation with my patient at the time and uh, you know, it sounded very interesting. And what was really appealing to me is that uh, the work hours were nine to five, Monday through Friday. And that really piqued my interest. And you have to understand the environment I was in at the time. Um, the climate in internal medicine was pretty bad in the late 1990s in the Chicago area. Um, private practices were being bought up by hospitals. Um, there were more group conglomerates going on. Um, clinics started to be run like businesses. Everyone seemed more concerned about cranking out large volumes of patients than actually providing any sort of personalized medical care, which is what I went into internal medicine before. I like having that ongoing interactive relationship with my patients. Um, you know, it takes time for a patient when they come to see you to explain how they feel. Um, sometimes it takes 10, 15 minutes for them to even get to the point of why they're there, what they're concerned about. And then once you listen to them, you have to do a proper examination based on, you know, what their concerns are. You know, medicine is really a healing art and it shouldn't be run as a business. Um, I mean, they want to allot 10 minutes for every patient or maybe even sometimes less for an appointment. On top of that, insurance companies, when you're in private practice, call you daily, pushing for patients to be discharged from the hospital. I was having a schedule where I would see patients from 7.30 a.m. That was after I rounded in the hospital for an hour and a half. And I'd see them through 7 p.m. And then I would stay in the office and do paperwork and patient phone calls till 10.30 p.m. And I was on call 24-7. 
I had to round on my patients at the hospital daily, sometimes twice a day. And quite honestly, by the time the year 2000 rolled around, I was 39 years old. I had two babies in diapers and this totally crazy schedule. Um, and it just so happened another patient who worked at Argonne came in for a visit and told me that Argonne was looking for a physician for their clinic. So I applied and really knew nothing about occupational medicine at that point. So for me at that time, occupational medicine just meant regular working hours and not having to deal with insurance companies and not having to be on call all the time. And I was pretty desperate. Certainly I learned a lot more as I went forward, but um, that's probably another story. Wow, so essentially occupational medicine kind of rescued you uh, from really being burned out. Yes, yeah, After and that was only after 10 years of being an internist, wow. uh, it did. And, um, but it opened, you know, it's interesting, um, despite all the training I had, it was not something that they don't talk a lot about occupational medicine uh, in medical school. In fact, I don't even remember a conversation about it. So uh, certainly something that's been lacking. Um, so the NSSP is an occupational medical exam for Department of Energy workers, um, current or former, you know, all of those things. What is the value of an occupational medical exam? You know, even if you have a regular primary care doctor, um, what, what value is there in that specific kind of medical exam? Well, if I, if I can jump on that, um, I'll tell you that's really what I learned once okay. I started in the field. You know, even though I was completely unfamiliar with occupational medicine, sort of went in in that internal medicine mode. Um, as an internist, uh, I think I see occupational medicine slightly through a different lens that many people that specialize in the area do. Um, uh, for professionals in occupational medicine, they're very focused and clear that you have a history of work and you know what possible health conditions can occur from exposures, hazardous exposures in the workplace. And they really focus on screening to see if those exposures have occurred. As well, there's a preventative part too. They work with safety professionals, particularly in the active worker programs to ensure that there's appropriate, what we call engineering controls or safety controls in place. But as an internist going into the field, while I certainly learned about those things and took those things into consideration, I did start to know that it was also the perfect setting because number one, you had more time available per patient when you were seeing them um, to address health education and wellness for workers. And, you know, as I mentioned before, increasingly primary care doctors are subject to this high volume of patients in their practices and they have very limited time. And most patients will tell you if they go see a doctor, you know, they can address one problem and not much else is discussed. But in the occupational setting, you now have time not only to do that exposure focused exam, but a more general exam as well. Additionally, you have time to discuss personal health issues. You can provide the worker with advice, information, or answer their questions, uh, give them questions to take their primary doctor. I really think if more primary doctors were aware of what occupational medicine does, 
um, that it could really be a collabor collaborative effort, I would say, for worker and community health if it was done correctly. And I think that's something that's lacking. Workers spend most of their life in the workplace and occupational medicine programs, particularly those like the DOE site-based programs can really be pivotal, I think, in early disease prevention and identification. Um, we're not taking work away from a primary doctor. I think occupational medicine provides screening and initial interventions and education to help the doctor that is really pressed for time with that high volume practice. Do the, I'm assuming the workers see the value in the fact that they get to spend more time with the doctor than they would during a, during a say a routine primary care visit? Well, I think that's, I think it depends on the occupational practice to be perfectly okay. honest. You know, some, some uh, private occupational practices probably have a pretty high throughput as far as patient volume, but certainly in the DOE setting, um, we have really increasingly been focusing on total worker health. Um, so looking at just not the health related to potential hazards, but also, you know, what, what, what is a productive worker? A productive worker is someone that has financial security, that has good mental health, um, that is physically feeling well, um, and there's a great deal of value in, in taking that approach. And I think the DOE sites have done a very good job of that. And that's what really impressed me. Um, there's a real preventive medicine role in all of that. Are there, I'm sure there are real life examples that illustrate um, Dr. Stalker and Dr. Max certainly feel free to chime in of the value of this kind of screening. I mean, patients maybe that you remember or um, specific situations that you remember. I would say the best example, and I, and I talk about this example a lot, um, was a worker that I saw for something called a termination exam. So Department of Energy has several types of exams. One is a uh, initial exam, um, a pre, also known as a pre-placement exam. Then there's intermittent surveillance or screening exams that occur on some sort of intermittent basis while the worker is working with hazards. And then when they're ready to leave a DOE site, there's a termination exam. And at one of those termination exams, um, I had an of there was a young scientist that had an appointment with me. And when I asked him, you know, if he had any concerns, uh, he told me he was leaving his job to go home and die, literally. Um, wow. That was sort of shocking to me. And he presented with uh, lesions on his skin. He had really lost a lot of weight. He actually looked awful. Um, he had been seeing several doctors in the community, including subspecialists and just told him that they had no idea what his diagnosis was and he was failing to thrive. I think I've even told this story to John um, just because it, it was so impressive to me um, at the time. Um, and if he continued to fail to thrive like he was, you know, it would result in his death. Now, he was a scientist who did work with chemicals and we reviewed those, none of which would have caused the situation he was in. Um, but he also stated he never had been exposed to them. So that's really the occupational medicine focus part of it. I did a thorough exam and 
to me, he looked like a lot of severe lupus patients I'd seen in the past. Um, so I, I asked him more questions. I asked him what kind of doctors he had seen. Um, and ends up the specialist he saw had been treating him for years uh, for another medical condition. Um, and I asked about what medications or treatments he had had. And I found out that he had been treating with a medication for years that typically should only be used for about a year. And it's also medication that's known to cause, in rare occasions, a lupus-like syndrome. So I explained that to the worker. I gave him materials on it, told him when he got home to see a specialist called a rheumatologist and uh, to provide him with the information I'd given him. And this person called me six months later and was thriving, was not dying. Um, so, uh, and that's because the rheumatologist agreed with the diagnosis. And this really demonstrates the advantage um, that you have when you have more time with the patient, um, you know, in a termination exam, um, really taking things into account. I think also combining that sort of internal medicine perspective along with occupational medicine so you can explore all possibilities, just not focus on exposure. And I would add that another example that I think is really helpful in the occupational medicine field is that pre-placement or initial exam. I mean, it's supposed to be an exam where you get a baseline on health. So when someone comes back in for their intermittent screening exams, or if they've been exposed to something, you have a baseline exam and baseline blood test to go on and maybe a chest X-ray, a breathing test. Um, so an example would be if someone, you had a baseline lung exam and breathing test for someone, and then they uh, there's an accident and they get exposed to something that could be irritating to their lungs. You can retest them and see if there's a difference. Um, you know, accidents do happen even at DOE sites. So workers sometimes come in and they think that pre-placement exam is a way to eliminate their offer for a job if a medical issue is found. But in 20 years, I can count on one hand how many times we actually had to turn some away uh, for a job based on a health condition. What's really remarkable about this type of occupational medicine exam is frequently workers don't have primary doctors. It's, it's shocking that they don't. And so you'll go in and you'll do the exam and you'll find a condition that's serious potentially, and you can inform them about it. And, you know, over my 20 years, I've diagnosed valvular heart disease, cancers based on these exams. Uh, lots of people with high blood pressure, diabetes, masses in the thyroid, so lumps in the thyroid, uh, people with cardiac arrhythmias, and almost all these workers were able to work immediately during their treatment or after they were done with treatment. It's not like they didn't get the job because of it, but had they not had that pre-placement exam, it wouldn't have been identified. And the result for everyone is that you have a healthier workforce and a worker with a healthier and happier personal life because they're not dealing with a serious or chronic illness uh, because they were able to do something about it. With the uh, NSSP exams, we get, I guess you call it personal testimonials uh, regularly about how we save people lives, which is uh, very uh, fulfilling. And we had a gentleman recently who had a chest X-ray had been seen in the program, I believe twice before. 
the current chest x-ray showed a slight shadow. <clears throat> when we find something out of the ordinary that could be important, we actually make a call right away personally, either myself, Dr. Stalker, or our nurse. We notify them to let them know it's important. We send a copy of the uh, x-ray and report to the individual check to the doctor. Went to his physician, again, early lung cancer, uh, easily treatable. We found the same thing for any number of causes. Uh, there are a lot of radiation-induced cancers that we've uh, detected early in the NSSP. We have seen all sorts of beryllium disease, both in the blood or sensitization, and actual lung disease that we've diagnosed based on the exam, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, abnormal chest x-rays that have shown uh, indirect evidence of heart valve diseases, uh, thyroid disease, just all sorts of things on a regular basis. Uh, and so again, not only do we let the people know, but we give them a personal call to let them know it's important, get in to see their doctor. And if they don't have one, uh, they'll need to find one. And we can also help them sometimes access medical care. Okay. Wow. I mean, it just sounds like the, the most amazing life-saving program. And I know that's, you know, it's not the case with every worker necessarily, but there, I guess, has to be enough of, of that kind of situation that is part of what drives you to do the work that you do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, very gratifying for physicians who've gone into the field to help others to know that you're making a difference. Absolutely. Um, along a similar line, what are some of the things that you found through former worker programs that has informed you as a physician, either at the NSSP or, you know, as on a site? Are there, are there things that you've, I guess, picked up and learned um, might be the correct phrase. I'm not sure. I, I think the beauty of uh, medicine and the foreign worker program is we learn something new just about every day. There are five other worker programs. Uh, they have excellent physicians, excellent academic occupational experts. Uh, other programs have uh, CAT scan screening programs. But the amount of knowledge uh, that we exchange among ourselves, finding facts that people, even if they don't smoke, can get chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, early cancer detection, just the interplay of all the uh, minds trying to do the best for the individual. Uh, we teach everybody else all sorts of things. So it's a never ending learning process for me. That's great. Dr. Stalker? Yeah, um, I think there's two different areas. So as a site physician, when I was at Argonne on um, seeing the impact, uh, I was on the NSSP advisory committee for about 10 years. Um, so I was familiar with the NSSP and I knew the work that they were doing. So seeing the impact of chronic diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, diseases of the kidney on former workers, 
I was very interested in preventive care and wellness, and it really spurred me on to educate the current workers uh, that I was responsible for when I was a site physician to take their wellness seriously and um, really built a big wellness program because my thought was if we can get people educated early on as active workers, that ultimately that's going to impact their health when they're former workers. Um, also, um, as I've continued to be involved with the NSSP now, I've really recognized the importance of an accurate occupational history. Frequently, former workers, um, they're out of the workforce for decades. And they can't remember everything they worked with. Um, and I'm a real advocate now with the evolution of digital medical records, <laughs> that as we go forward, that we really work on developing approach so that when a worker, active worker goes to a um, termination process at a DOE site, that they're allowed to maybe consent for a transfer of records uh, that would let us know what surveillance programs that they were in as active workers. Um, and that would really help us focus and, and know what we need to be screening for more accurately. Um, also, it would help us from that kind of research perspective that the NSSP is also involved in, that if we saw a trend in a particular type of health condition and found that it accurately correlated with a particular hazard because we have accurate records, um, maybe it would even be a new health condition uh, or a new hazard. I mean, we have nanomaterials and different things now that we didn't years ago. It would really serve to move our knowledge forward with the organization. And in, in that case, perhaps create stronger preventative programs, maybe? Yes. Always the thought is that the knowledge circles back to the occupational health programs at the active programs. Yes. Right. Okay. Excellent. Um, this, this is similar in Dr. Stalker. It sounds like this, what you were just talking about sounds like um, a bit of an answer to, to my next question, which is what are some of the things you know now because of your experience with NSSP and other former worker programs that maybe you wish you'd known um, either as a site physician or as, um, you know, an internal medicine physician before that? Yes. Yeah, so I think we've kind of touched on this, but there's three things. I think that the NSSP and the other former worker programs need to really think about future former workers as well, their work hazards and potential new exposures that they will have and how to ensure we're prepared to provide a service to them. I think the evolution of this digitalized world, world offers many opportunities to think strategically about that path that would lie ahead of us. And I think that having increased collaboration with the active worker programs will really be key in doing that. As well, um, the occupational health world, as I mentioned earlier, as well as looking towards more total worker health, again, which considers, you know, not just the exposure part of occupational health, but, you know, financial security, professionally supported, uh, good mental and physical health for a worker uh, results in a productive and happy workforce. And there are components of that that we might not have in our program now, but 
we might think about going forward. Um, and again, a, very important to have collaboration with the active worker programs. And the final thing is, you know, we hate to keep on talking about uh, that bad five letter word COVID, but unfortunately it's her reality. Um, and this is a big change for us. And COVID is impacting both our current DOE workforce and our former workers. Um, the medical world is still learning about long-term health impacts. And I really feel strongly there's a need to capture information about workers who've had COVID, understand how severely they had it, and how, and that's the only way we're going to understand how it may impact health conditions going forward. And for the team that exists now, um, you know, this is going to take careful thought and, and the multiple experts that are involved in the former worker programs to sort of weigh in and uh, strategically um, determine a best path forward. The COVID piece may also be part of the answer for the next question, but what, what has changed and what is changing about um, the NSSP and former worker programs generally? I don't think things are changing other than we change all the time in that we look at what we're doing uh, individually and as a group. We try to figure out ways that we can do things better, uh, whether communicating with the individual uh, worker or former worker, or it might be adding an additional test or dropping a test to try to figure out what we can do uh, to better serve the individual participant. Um, and we're always trying to figure out how to do that. With COVID, do we test them uh, to see if they've had COVID? Do we make them get a test before we do the exam? We have all these issues and problems. We have to figure out on an ongoing basis what's the best thing to do. And we continually change in a very thoughtful program. So I think we change all the time. Jamie uh, comes into the program, brings new idea, gets fresh ideas, and looks at how can we improve the process. Um, and I think we do that all the time. So it's never ending, which is normal for us. Right, so I mean, it sounds like it's sort of any other field of, of medical care where there's sort of always ongoing quality and process improvement um, to benefit ultimately the patients or the former workers in this case. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, I would, yeah. and I would agree since I've started with the NSSP, you know, you're on the advisory committee and, and you see a piece of it, but actually being part of the program. Um, I mean, the dedication to the former workers is amazing. And the team as a whole is constantly, you know, asking what can we do better? And I think that's, it's what John is is expressing, and it's very true. It sounds like it's a team with a great deal of empathy um, for former workers. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Dr. Stalker, is there a question as as you you and Dr. Mack sort of make this transition? Is there a question that you have for Dr. McInerney at this point? Yeah, so a little preface uh, of a story. So John and I met 
probably 15 plus years ago, and it was over the phone. Um, I was a brand new medical director. And I mistook an open conference call as a closed one. I had no idea there were two different types of calls. No one had given me the, the playbook on this. Um, on the call, I'd asked some questions about brilliant programming and was met with complete silence, like no one spoke. And John, you were the only one who called me as soon as the call was over to explain the whole system to me. Um, you've provided information and advice to me regularly over the years and were also my right-hand man, so to speak, I guess, when I chaired the FCOG Occupational Medicine Group when no one else would take the lead. So now I'm getting ready to step in your shoes and they're big ones. So I guess it's a very general question, but what do you think is the most important thing I should keep in mind when I actually speak to former workers? You've been doing it for years. I have not. Well, I think uh, continue doing what you're doing. Most important thing is uh, treat them like you would uh, treat them medically like you would your um, mother or father or relative, you know, do get the best possible medical care, give them the best possible advice on a one-to-one -one basis. And I think that's what you do as an internist. That's what I do. Whatever a good doctor does is that one-on-one -on -one quality care, but you do that already. And the other thing you do is listen to the patient because oftentimes what their needs are, are not what we want to do to them, but what they want to have help with. But you're already there. Just practice good medicine, get the best possible care for the individual. So you know what to do and you're doing it, which is great. Thank you. Dr. Mack, for you, as you make the transition to retirement, first of all, do you have any closing thoughts? And um, are there things that you might be keeping tabs on um, in your retirement, whether it's the NSSP website or, or other, other things? The, uh, uh, I guess the important thing is, how can I say, um, is we need to maintain the communication between the former worker programs and the current uh, worker programs. And I've been fortunate and Jamie's fortunate in that ORU allows us to spend time uh, with the former medical programs, but also with the current. <clears throat> Some of the uh, best physicians I've known uh, both clinically and personally, have been the um, site medical directors. And as we leave, we leave our contact information with the people who are still suffering and have to work. And we contact each other even through the retirement. So no matter where I go, Jamie will be able to find me. And same thing, I know where to find her as well. Uh, she's not that far. So that type of communication uh, is important. It's a tremendous group of uh, physicians to work with. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, for both of you, is there anything um, we haven't discussed that I haven't asked that you want to make sure gets said before we close out this episode? 
I think you've been pretty thorough. Um, I just to add on to what John said is, um, I hope uh, Department of Energy realizes what a gold mine they have in fabulous physicians. I agree with John. Some of the most amazing, intelligent doctors that I've ever met have are part of this DOE complex as active medical directors, and. Um, it's very meaningful to continue that conversation with them and, and participate with them, um, even as we're dealing with former workers. First of all, I think it's, it's wonderful for, for us because all of us have become very close over the years, but I think it's also a real advantage for the Department of Energy as well. It sounds like a great thing. Um, those relationships, very key to, um, keeping the programs, you know, robust, but also, you know, you have that sort of sense of history and knowledge that, you know, the, it, the individual doctor, individual physician may not be in the building, but you have access to that data or information or to answer questions and that sort of thing, that sort of head knowledge. Yes. Well, thank you both, Dr. Mack and Dr. Stalker, for um, your time talking about the National Supplemental Screening Program. I will really appreciate the time. Um, glad to, um, as ever, shine a light on one of ORU's um, amazing but kind of unsung programs. So glad to um, sing the song of the NSSP for a little bit. So thank you both for um joining me and I will look forward to perhaps one day um, meeting either or both of you in person. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.